We are nearing the end of the season that we call Eastertide. In Eastertide, we remember the resurrection appearances of Jesus. He appears by the tomb to Mary. He appears inside the locked room to the disciples. He appears to a couple who are walking on the road toward Emmaus. And in the story that we're going to look at today, he appears to the disciples who are fishing in boats on the Sea of Galilee. Now, it might help us to know why they're there. Why are they fishing so soon after Jesus was raised? It's because they've gone back to what they knew before they met Jesus. If you are a disciple and your leader dies, what do you do? Do you try to continue the faith without him? They didn't know what they would do, and so they just went back to fishing. But they find that they're not very good at it anymore because when Jesus finds them in their boats, they've been out on the water all night and they've caught nothing. Now, when Jesus appears, he does something that I often, I often like to tell people just how funny Jesus is. He jokes with them, all right? The risen Lord is not just a serious, foreboding presence. He comes to them full of humor. He calls them children. Hey, children, have you caught anything? You can laugh. Please, please, come on. This is, Jesus is so much funnier than he gets credit for being. Of course, he knows that they haven't caught anything. He's playing with them. And then he suggests an idea that I bet to them seemed utterly pointless. He says, okay, you know what? Maybe try casting your net on the other side of the boat, right? How pointless does that seem? And yet they do it, and miracle of miracles, suddenly their nets are full of fish. If you remember this story, our seminary intern Nathaniel preached on this part of the story a few weeks ago. What I want to talk about is what happens next. Because this miracle story suddenly turns into something quite different. It turns into an intimate story of forgiveness and love and vocation. Let's look at our reading. This is from the 21st chapter of John, verses 15 to 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter at this point felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts on this your holy word be acceptable in your sight and life-giving to us and through us as your people. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now I said this was a forgiveness story. On first glance, it doesn't look like that because nobody in this story says I'm sorry and nobody in this story says I forgive you. But if you know the story of Peter, then you know that he desperately needs forgiveness because he has done something awful and it is weighing on his conscience. First, let's talk a little bit about Peter's personality. 
Peter is a very emotional and mercurial person. He tends to take things very personally. He's very moody. One minute he's hitting rock bottom. The next minute he's on top of the world. One minute he doubts Jesus. The next moment he is the most faithful of all the disciples. We get a glimpse of this moodiness and this intensity at the Last Supper. Jesus looks at the disciples and he says to them, this very night you will all betray me. Peter just gets incensed. No, you're lying. I will never betray you. Maybe these other disciples will, but it doesn't matter what happens to me. I could go to prison. I could die with you. But one thing I'll never do is to deny that you are my Lord. Well, if you know the story, you know that Jesus says to Peter, Peter, in fact, you will deny me not once, not twice, but before the rooster crows tonight, you will have denied me three times And of course, that's what happens. Later that night, Peter is standing next to a fire in a courtyard in Jerusalem. The fire is important, so remember that detail. Over the next few hours, as people are passing by, they recognize Peter, and they say, I know who you are. You're one of Jesus' followers. You're from Galilee, like those other people from Galilee. And three times, Peter does the one thing he swore he would never do. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never met anyone named Jesus. I I don't know who he is. I have nothing to do with him. And so in the very moment when Jesus needed his friends the most, they all betrayed him. He was right. They all left him to face death alone. The Bible says that when Peter heard the rooster crow, he suddenly remembered Jesus' prediction, and he was so overwhelmed with emotion that he fell on his knees and he began to weep bitterly. He was feeling many things in the wake of the death of Jesus, but it seems the one thing that really stayed with him was guilt. He could not forgive himself for what he had done. This guilt was so overwhelming that in the days after Jesus died, Peter essentially just gave up on everything, being a disciple, baptizing people, healing people, preaching the good news, all of it. He just gives up. He tells the other disciples that he's going to return to being a fisherman. And this is despite the fact that Jesus left the disciples with very clear instructions. You are to go out into the world and preach the gospel. You are to go help people. You aren't fishermen anymore. I I have made you fishers of people. Go out and make disciples of all nations. Now, you can't say that Peter didn't know what those instructions were. He just couldn't do it. And the reason, again, seems clear, guilt. And I will bet that many of you know how paralyzing guilt can be. When you blame yourself for something terrible, it just saps all of your energy. How could Peter be the rock of the church when he was carrying this kind of guilt? What would he tell people? It was a real problem. And yet, Peter still loves Jesus. And so when he sees Jesus by the lake, it's actually quite a joyful moment. He doesn't hesitate. He jumps into the water. He doesn't even take the time to row the boat back to the beach. He just jumps into the water and begins to run. He gets to the shore dripping wet, and there on the shore is a charcoal fire. Remember the fire that I mentioned earlier? 
The fire that Peter sat next to in the courtyard in Jerusalem, that was also a charcoal fire. The Greek word is anthrakia. It's an interesting word because it only appears twice in the entire Bible. The other occurrence, right here. Right here on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus makes the same kind of fire that Peter sat next to when he denied him, and Jesus invites Peter to once again come sit next to the fire. And so you see Jesus is reenacting the scene of Peter's denial. He's inviting him to revisit the moment that has caused him so much guilt and agony. Why would he do this? To help him repair what was broken. It's, it's amazing, actually. It's, this is advanced psychotherapy. Jesus creates a stage, right, with all the elements that Peter needs to heal his very specific crime down to the same charcoal fire. And this is why this is a story of forgiveness, because Peter is invited to let go of his guilt, and yet again you'll notice that Jesus never says to him, I forgive you. In fact, he goes deeper than that. He bypasses forgiveness entirely, and he goes right into the deeper issue of why Peter denied him in the first place. And he does this by asking Peter a simple question three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? There were three denials. I don't know Jesus. And now there are three opportunities to repair what was broken. Each time the question is asked, Peter answers Jesus, you know I love you. And each time Jesus gives Peter a command, okay, you love me? Then feed my lambs. Okay, you love me? Then tend my sheep. Okay, you love me? Then feed my sheep. Here's what's going on. Peter denied Jesus because he was scared. Totally understandable. It was a real threat. The Romans could have arrested him and put him on a cross right next to Jesus. Jesus doesn't seem to hold that against Peter. I mean, Jesus comes to the disciples with a sense of humor, with love. He's not holding this against Peter. The problem is that Peter is giving up on his vocation. All of what they had worked for, bringing so much life and love into the world and the promise that through the church this healing would continue, Peter has just decided to give it all up. And so Jesus asked him, Peter, what do you love most? Do you love me or do you love something else? And what we see in Jesus' response is the way that love and vocation are always connected. Do you love me? Yes? Okay, good. Well, your heart's in the right place, so go and feed my lambs. You love me? Good. I will never lead your side. Now tend my lambs. You love me? That's good. That the first commandment is to put God first. But the consequence of this love is that you are freed to help others, not just to sit here and go fishing. So feed my sheep. If this doesn't make sense, let me ask you a question. What if Peter had said something like this? Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. I feel a lot lighter. Thank you for removing my heavy burden of guilt but I'm gonna pass on the feeding the sheep thing. I mean, maybe we couldn't blame him. I mean, discipleship was legitimately risky. 
Peter would go on to become a martyr in his own right. He went to Rome and was crucified himself. You might say fishing was a lot safer, and that may be true, but there was a major downside. Because if Peter had refused the command to help others, he could not have kept his own healing. Because when you are set free, the only way to stay in a place of freedom is to share the freedom that you've been given. There's a slogan we've all heard, if you want to keep something, you have to give it away. That's actually a biblical principle. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. In Luke 6, Jesus says, give and then it will be given to you. In other words, if you want to have love, you have to give love. If you want to be forgiven, forgive others. You may think they don't deserve it. But then you have to ask yourself, do you deserve forgiveness? Do you deserve the grace that God is extending to you? If Peter had not agreed to tend to Jesus' lambs, that guilt would have come right back. Because if you want to keep love and forgiveness, you have to give love and forgiveness. It sounds a little trite, but I'm often reminded of the last lyric in the last song on the last Beatles album, which goes like this. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. If we tweak that lyric just a tiny bit, we have a perfect summary of biblical healing. And in the end, the love that you keep is equal to the love that you give away. That's the Christian version of that lyric, the mercy that comes from God. If you want to keep that in your life, you have to share it with others. There's one more point I want to make, it's, and I think it's an important point because I imagine that many people in this room struggle with the same kind of guilt and shame that Peter was facing. I've struggled with guilt and shame myself. It's a terrible and yet it's a ubiquitous reality in the lives of so many people. And yet here's the amazing thing. Once you know forgiveness, those things that you were haunted by become the greatest assets that you have. Just look at Peter. When he finally decided to go out and lead the church, his awful mistakes were transformed into his greatest strengths because Peter was able to go out into the world not as a perfect person whom nobody would have trusted, but as a redeemed story whom people actually identified with. He was able to say to other people who hated themselves, I really do know what it's like because that was me. You think you've made mistakes? I was with the Lord in his greatest hour of need and I denied I ever knew him and yet he came to me not with anger or with judgment, but with love and healing. So my question to you, who better to lead the church than a person who was both deeply flawed and deeply forgiven? Who better to explain grace to us? Would we even believe someone if they told us about grace but they had never experienced it? And so you see, even your mistakes, even the burden of guilt can become gifts in the light of the empty tomb. I love the fact that this church, this tradition that we're part of, this faith that we just baptized Julian into, it was not started by perfect people. 
the men and women who followed Jesus were incredibly flawed and incredibly loved. So I want to leave you with a question. If Jesus were to create a healing scene on the beach for you, what would the elements of that scene be? What kind of props would he bring? How would he recreate the scene of your guilt? And what kind of healing would you need? Think about that, and let's end in prayer. God, you ask each of us, do you love me more than anything else? As we seek to answer that question in our hearts, we thank you for the endless mercy that you pour out into the world through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray, amen.